welcome to our Mary's Recharge of 2018. And we're going to be talking about travel and light today, about forgiveness. Go ahead and open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 26. Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole still no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Have any of you ever overpacked on a trip? You ever overpack, get too much luggage, try to get so much packed in there, and then you get to the airplane, and then they say, it weighs too much. Do you want to pay an extra $50 or what? They keep, in, they, they keep on increasing um, the cost. Um, oftentimes we think, you know, we could just stuff a little bit more in. But the extra weight of items that we don't always need aren't always worth all the work it is to get to where we are going. Um, Overpacking oftentimes burdens us in ways that we didn't imagine. And it it burdens those that are with you too, because they end up having to carry your luggage as well. (laughs) Me, I'll just take... I usually pack pretty light. But you add my wife in the picture, and it's like 10 bags. That's an exaggeration. And she says it's all the kids' stuff, too. And I guess when you have six kids, that does increase the load. <laughs> yeah. But metaphorically, as Christians sometimes overpack in our marriages. And we hold on to stuff that we don't need to hold on to. We hold on to um, offenses that happen to us. And Norma, you apply this to any relationship, okay? And May, that sometimes in our relationships, if we have an offense toward one or they have an offense towards us, or they've offended us, and we hold on to it, we hold a grudge, we get mad, we're angry, we stay upset. When we look at them and we see them in the store, we cringe or we want to try to avoid being seen by them. You know, there are sometimes I want to avoid people. It's usually different reasons. Um, but I don't think I'm the only one that does that once in a while and stuff. Sometimes it's not because of Someone that I'm offended by, I just don't want to keep dealing with their contentious spirit uh, and stuff. Like, and it's not something usually sometimes you're always able to reconcile with someone over. They just refuse 
to reconcile. You can forgive 70 times 7, and they still don't want to try to get it right. Well, when you're married to someone, you know, you don't have that option. You shouldn't use that option of just, okay, I'll just say, they didn't see me, I'll make sure they don't see me. Okay? That's not how we want to um, treat our marriage. But um, with overpacking, as we journey through life, we will encounter opportunities to take on luggage that God never intended for us to carry. Okay? Oftentimes there's the offense. First, someone, anybody, does the wrong to you, and that's a guarantee it's going to happen. You know what Paul did say? Um, that you don't sin if you marry, but such shall have trouble in the flesh. You know, there's a warning right there. If you get married, there's going to be trouble at times. Okay? And Jesus told his disciples that it's impossible, but that offenses will come. You know, he said, it's impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. And you know, specifically speaking of Judas, that you know what, the offense would come. Um, and woe unto a person, the offense comes, but sometimes bad things are going to happen to us. And it's not really a question of if your spouse will offend you, but when. No Christian is perfect. So no one is married to a perfect spouse, except for my wife. She's married to a perfect spouse. I'm just kidding. <laughs> or close to it. Just close to it. <laughs> yeah. uh, imperfect spouses offend. Every marriage will have opportunity for bitterness to form. Um, and it is not so much the offense that is committed as it is our response that determines the burden, the load that we end up carrying. You know, I've mentioned this joke before. I think I've used it recently. Maybe it's been a while. But of just on the, um, the people that were getting on the airplane, and this guy was just being rude to the guy at the valet, and, um, and he just was calm, was nice, nice, polite to the person, and the guy was just continuing being rude to him. Well, another man asked later on, like 10 minutes later, he goes, man, how do you say so calm? through this. Oh, it's easy. His bags are going to one city and, and he's going to a different country and stuff. And so, you know, it's a, our natural response to an offense is t to become offended in our spirits um, over what was done to us. And you know, the Bible talks about the wounded spirit. About those that are wounded. You know, without cause, um, that there's an offense that they've, um, they're downcast because they've been um, wrong, and so they're wounded. Um, of course, offenses that are committed against us can create real wounds. It's the Bible does not advocate pretending that pain does not exist. You know, we can't just always just ignore it. You know, forgiveness doesn't just, we ignore everything that happens. That just kind of means that we're holding on to a wound without trying to get some kind of medication to help heal it. But if we hold on to that offense, allow the wound to linger, 
without applying God's grace, we will be suffering. You know, we maybe are the wounded one, but if we keep holding on to it, we keep picking that scab, we are going to stay in a wounded and uh, a depressed state. Brooke. Well, I don't think anybody is able to completely forget. Um, you could try to live your life as if um, it's over. And you know what? There are times where, yeah, you know what? Something's been reconciled. That Sometimes it is easy to forget. You know what? There's times where sometimes where I thought a situation was fixed and then I totally forgot about it and then they got offended about it later. But there are times if there's someone that's a repeat offender, okay, yes, where do you forgive seven times 70, okay? And in that passage, the Bible actually says if he repent. Um, but even if someone does not repent, if we hold on to it, it's like we're not, we're not able to let go. We're not able to move on. And now someone may break our trust through repetitive offenses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you might think of a business owner and someone employee steals from them. You know, they forgive them. And, you know, maybe, okay, say it was just... Um, Say maybe eating some chicken nuggets at McDonald's when he's not supposed to, and, and then he, and then the employee might have been like, "Oh, I thought it was okay because we were gonna throw him away anyways." Okay, and then correction could be made. Go, no, it's our policy. We don't do that either. And then he may forgive that time and just give him another chance. But if he does it again, he might be like, "All right, I forgive you, but you're gone. Goodbye." And so. Now, we don't want to do, do it that way with our spouse, though, okay? We don't want to just be wild right by. See me? There's times where, um, where there's been situations, say, uh, say somebody's uh, been a troublemaker in the church in the past, and they leave, and say they come back. You know, a wise pastor might say, tell them, hey, you know what, you're welcome to come back, but we're not going to deal with this junk again, so don't bring it back. And so it's like, they may have already been forgiven, 
But yeah, sometimes you don't forget. And so you're saying, hey, don't, don't bring this back here. And so that kind, so you don't always forget. Um, but thankfully that we do have a God that he does say that he'll remember our iniquities no more. And we are to strive to have that kind of forgiveness and stuff. Proverbs 18.14 says, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. You know, there's times where if we get wounded, if we allow ourselves to stay wounded, it's going to be a heavy burden you care. And you know, it's this kind of cliche that, you know, forgiveness is sometimes... Um, releasing the prisoner and realizing that prisoner was you. And so that many times when someone's done something wrong to us, many times still have forgotten about it, but we hold on to it. And then that just holds us captive. Uh, And so we want to work on having a proper response. And Sometimes it can get to a point of, is it their fault or his or her fault that we struggle? The truth is that offenses come in every marriage. What makes a difference in traveling in our marriage lighter is learning to be good forgivers. Becoming a good forgiver begins with recognizing what responses we will not take. And where are some responses not to take when some, someone's offended. Yeah, how you respond to someone that's wronged you. Yeah. <laughs> James? Anger. Okay, anger, yeah. Yep, that's one of them. Yeah, you know what, again, when you're traveling by air, you often see a list of prohibited items. Okay, you know what, in packing and shipping things, I've been learning, okay? This is prohibited, or this is restricted. Um, I had my wife um, drop off a box um, because I wasn't going to be able to, so um, she packaged a box, went to take it in, and and then uh, they were getting it said, and she asked, oh, okay, what, what, what's in it? She said, oh, it's just a bo- little bottle of perfume. And the lady panicked. Goes, oh, no. Oh, it is this flammable. You know what? You got, you got to make sure this is surface only. You can't do it first class. Well, just imagine if it goes on the airplane and just through the environment up there, it explodes. And then that would be on your conscience that you were responsible for this airplane crashing because you shipped perfume improperly. A little bit dramatic. But, um, that's about how dramatic she was. And um, Allison just went to drop a package off to her yesterday. Same response. 
Like, no, you can't. You can't, you can't ship it like this. And then she goes, I thought you told me, Dad, you just had to go back home and make sure I have it labeled um, parcel ground. She's like, no, there's more stuff. What's the flashpoint? And stuff. And stuff. And so I show, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of the ladies. She's a sweet lady, too, though. She's a sweet lady. But she does panic about that. She takes her job seriously. And so, and, uh, and I get a perfume bottle. Yeah, sure, it maybe isn't recommended, but people take perfume up there all the time. You can take perfume in your carry-on bag. It just has to be below a certain amount. But, um, but I explained to Allison, okay, this is how you want to, uh, um, this is what you want to do. You need this sticker. And at first she's like, I'm not putting a sticker on. I'm just going to go to another post office, and I'm not going to tell them what's in it. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, but she did. Put, she 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 told me later. She goes, I did put the sticker on it. Maybe that lady just it, she was in her mind. What if something happens on the plane? And so, but there's restricted items. So like basically, what you do, you put a square on it, put O R M D and stuff, and then for surface only. But um, so there's different things that are prohibited, different things that are restricted, they're allowed, but you gotta do proper things. Ephesians 4.31 gives us prohibited things. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And so these are six, um, all six of these are emotional responses. And they're hazardous to our marriage. You know, we want to let go of bitterness. You know, it means that acidity, um, or you could think of an acid eating away at a solid. And you have a good picture of what bitterness does to your heart. Um, that it like attacks, it melts it. And too many times... I think we've all been able to see that a bitter spirit could change the entire direction of somebody's life. That they could have, have the joy of the Lord at one moment and then just allowing bitterness to creep in. They just kind of abandon everything um, in their walk. You know, I was talking with a lady this week and her husband's just left her over the weekend. And, and, and they go to church. They go to a church. Um, they were going to church faithfully, but they quit, stopped going for two months. And then he's um, leaving her. And I don't know what the particular issues were, but oftentimes it could be because of bitterness. Maybe someone did a wrong, and then the other ends up becoming bitter about it. And it alters their life. Um, unforgiveness, I don't know who said this, but unforgiveness is the poison we drink hoping others will die. And that doesn't work. Okay? We may cause other people a heartache um, for that, but bitterness, we don't want to be bitter in our marriage. Um, wrath, you know, we don't want the sun go down upon our wrath. And wrath means like a passion as of breathing hard with fierceness, indignation. And so it just kind of speaks of a white heat seething of anger. 
And if we go with bed angry, you will allow that anger to simmer in your heart until it boils over and becomes as wrath. And you may not even frequently express the wrath, but it is boiling under the surface of a relationship. It's not a response we want to have. Um, anger. It's another one. A violent passion or abhorrence by implication punishment. And so this anger that blows up. You know, anger in general causes us to react to problems in the flesh um, rather than respond in the spirit. And this is because our anger is usually self-centered. Okay? Most of the time our anger isn't because I'm angry because the Lord's angry about that. It's usually self-centered. And um, our feelings were hurt. Our rights were violated. Our efforts were unrecognized. Another word that's used is clamor. It's not a word that is um, used regularly, but um, it basically means like an outcry. You know, we just um, imagine uh, like a woman just complaining all the time. And just so I'm not accused of being sexist, let's also imagine a man that just cries out, complains all the time. Because there's men like that. They just clamor. They just go on and on and on. Just kind of complaining. You know what? That ought not to be in our marriage. That's not how we're to respond when we have been wounded. Um, You see, basically, a good definition of clamor is just look at social media. The social media fights. You know, people getting upset. There's a lot of clamoring, but most of it doesn't really have a lot of substance to it. And it's kind of funny seeing sometimes people bicker about things, and they have no idea what they're talking about. And stuff. Like, it'll be some type of conspiracy or whatever it may be, and they just go on and on. And clamor is never going to work in reconciling Um, issue in a relationship. Um, Evil speaking. This comes from the root word blasphemia, the same word often translated as blaspheme. And so it means a vilification, um, evil speaking, railing against someone. And this is basically when you're slandering somebody's name. You're speaking evil toward the person or speaking evil about the person to other people. Malice means a depravity, a evil, a wickedness. This is when your anger isn't just being angry with the person, but you're doing mean things to them because you are angry. Yeah, mean-spirited. And so that's what happens when we allow our anger to boil over. It becomes a malice. And um, it it can happen when you actively plot revenge, refusing to speak, or freezing a bank account so the spouse can't get to it. Um, Purposely preparing the food your spouse hates. Just because... You're mad at them. But it can also happen when you passively 
accept sinfulness in your life, excusing it on your spouse's failure. Um, there's oftentimes spouses will blame their affair that they have or an addiction to pornography is retaliation that she doesn't meet my needs. Um, unresolved anger in any of these forms will often fuel other sins. You know, when a man harbors anger toward his wife, he may again begin to justify immoral thoughts. Um, when a woman harbors bitterness toward her husband, she may begin to look outside the marriage for the emotional needs um, that she once met. Um, additionally, Ephesians 4.27 warns that anger literally helps Satan. It gives Satan an advantage. You know what Paul tells us, neither give place to the devil. No, I don't think any of us ever say, I want to give the devil a place in my life. I want to give the devil a place in my heart. I want to give him a foothold um, in my relationships. We usually don't say that. But when we allow these anger and all these other responses to build up, even when we've been the one wounded, we allow the devil a place in our life. Hebrews 12.15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. When we get bitter, it does affect other people. They get defiled as well. 2 Corinthians 2.10 says, To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So you see, when we are not willing to forgive, we are giving the devil an advantage. You know, when you're in a competition, when you're playing sports, you know, when our kids have played sports, you don't purposely try to give the other team an advantage. Now, maybe a dad does to his kids. He tries to help them out sometimes. Okay. But, you know, it's what we do. You know what? The devil is competing against us, against our walk with the Lord, wants to destroy us. And if he can keep us from forgiving someone else, he's gaining an advantage in our life. And so we must guard against it diligently. And so, you know, we want to lightning or um, lighten our load. Some people think of forgiveness as stuffing an offense out of sight, pretending it never happened. For instance, an unrepentant spouse may demand a forgiveness that never deals with the sin that he or she committed. Okay, someone just demanding forgiveness, that's not really reconciling or dealing with the issue. Um, at all. Biblical forgiveness isn't just stuffing an offense deep into our luggage. It's handing the offense over to God. And God, you know what? You take vengeance. You know what? You, you do the chastening. Okay? You, you take care of it. You handle it. I need to let it go so it does not weigh me down. You th- look at um, Joseph's brothers who had sinned greatly or committed great faults against him, were fearful that he would retaliate. 
You know, they sold him into slavery. They almost killed him. They acted like he was dead when they went and spoke to their father. And so they were afraid that Joseph was going to retaliate, that now he is like next in command behind um, Pharaoh. And what Joseph say unto him? Fear not, for am I in the place of God? So he wasn't saying that what they did wasn't wrong. He's just saying, you know what, I'm not God. You know what, I need, I need to respond differently. Um, so he wasn't saying that selling him into slavery wasn't wrong, but he was saying that it wasn't his place to make it um, right in order to retaliate. And we see um, Paul writes in Romans 12, 9, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place a new wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, say of the Lord. And so we just leave it up to the Lord to deal with the issue. And you know, many times I wonder if sometimes God operates this way, where sometimes we take vengeance in our own hands, Maybe sometimes God doesn't intervene like he would if we just had an attitude of forgiveness and say, Lord, you, you know what, you handle it. You know what, they're not one to repent, but Lord, could you, could you work on their heart? And I don't know if that's how God works or not, but I just know sometimes it's apparent the, chi- the child that retaliates usually gets the harsher discipline. Because it's the most apparent. It's the most obvious. And now as we're, I actually always remind myself, okay, we need to discipline the other child for doing the initial offense. But many times it's immediately directed at the one that retaliated. And a forgiven Christian remembers that he too has been forgiven. You know, the Bible says, forgiven one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. you know what? God did not forgive us because we were good people. God didn't forgive us because, wow, we made our life right. Okay? Well, we were forgiven for Christ's sake because Jesus paid for our sins. And Christians are not good people. We are forgiven people. Brooke? Absolutely. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. If you ever get any of his books, he has a lot of deep things. You could quote a lot of things of him. He goes, whenever I see myself before God and realize something of what my blessed Lord has done for me at Calvary, I am ready to forgive anybody anything. I cannot withhold it. I do not even want to withhold it. And when we really understand our place before God that we've been forgiven.
everything. Our sins are washed away. Think about that. It does make it easier to forgive those that have done us wrong. None of us could really say, well, this person wronged me more than they wronged God. No. No, you look what Jesus went through. Okay. Yes, he did that for us. Listen. Jesus said in Luke 17, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And so we see three things here. Rebuke, repent, and forgive. So we'll look at these three. Now usually, you know, if I was to receive that Peter often opened his mouth um, when he would ask um, questions. And you think about it, imagine Peter asking him, you know, how often shall I forgive my brother? Um, friends me, until seven times? Like seven times? That's a lot, Jesus. Really that much? And then he goes 70 times seven. Me, I'd be like, is he really repenting if it's that many times in one day? <laughs> but there we see rebuke. The first response is an offense is to go directly to the person responsible and show him how he sinned against you. And sometimes we will use the word rebuke too harshly. You know, rebuke, sometimes there needs to be a firm rebuke. But rebuke could simply be going, talking to the person, confronting the person that, hey, you know what, you're, you're, you're causing a problem here, or even, you know what, you, know what? you, you hurt my feelings when you say that. Um, and so, so, so talking um, to the person directly, and it may seem self-evident, but many times in all of our different relationships, we don't do that because we don't like confrontation. You know, sometimes it's easy for people who haven't sinned the church and think, oh, you know what, pastor needs to go deal with that issue. And there are times, yes, the pastor does need to go deal with that issue. But I don't like to. Okay? I don't like to confront issues. Uh, um, but you know, sometimes the greatest blessings are because I confronted someone about an issue. And you know, there's times where I've been confronted. And it helps bring in awareness. It helps to um, escalate in a sense of like, okay, you know what? This is an issue that needs to be corrected. And so rebuke doesn't mean always that um, you're yelling at them, you're confronting them in a mean way, okay? That's taking vengeance. But there are times where we, think we do need to bring correction or bring awareness to something. But, um, simple, simple rule is don't talk about the person who hurt you, but do talk to him. Okay? Don't just talk about it with other people. Talk to that person. 
And there maybe is sometimes it comes to a case where you try that and it doesn't work and you need to bring someone else involved. Okay, sometimes a teacher in a school, they'll deal with a child that's not compliant. The child doesn't listen. So then sometimes the, the phone calls to the principal's office or to that mean teacher. And when I was in fifth grade, I had the mean teacher as my teacher. And any time someone got in trouble in another class, they came to our class. I was in that class, and I wasn't even in trouble. But she was also a teacher that really loved her students. And her students would often come back and visit her after they went to high school. This was fifth grade. People would go to high school, graduate high school. And they'd go visit her. I remember being in class. She'd have old students come visit her. And then I did the same thing. And I never went and visited any of my other teachers. But that teacher, I did. You know, she taught discipline. Now, I told her she really relaxed. Because she would say, like, oh, just see if we could borrow a pencil from your neighbor. We didn't have that opportunity. So like, you didn't bring your pencil. You're failing that test. And you're staying after class. And you'll get a pencil that time and redoing it and stuff. So she admitted she got a little bit soft and stuff. But she says, as I get older, you just got to get softer sometimes. And she says, $500 for our wedding. It's a wedding gift and stuff. And so what teacher does that for a student? You know, so that was kind of really touching um, back then. But, you know, it go, go to the, I don't know what, why I was bringing that up. I don't know. What's that? Yeah, that might be what I was saying. I don't remember, especially after looking at my notes. I'm like, I thought I got past that point already. Sometimes the question comes up, though, is who should go talk to the person first? The one that offended the person or the person that got offended? Who do you think should go first? What's your guess? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. James? Okay, first one be convinced. Okay. Okay. The answer is yes, both. Okay. Okay. The one that did the wrong, okay, if they know they did the wrong, they ought to go try and make it right. But if the one that is wounded is on their mind, they ought to try and go make things right, to try and um, get restoration. Um, you see in Matthew 5.23. Um, Jesus said, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, so there, someone else says, You know they're upset with you. Just leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So he goes, If you know someone said aught with you, deal with it. 
You know, there's been situations where, you know what, I've known someone said ought with me, and sometimes in my flesh I'm like, oh, they're being so petty. You know, they just need to get over it, and I don't want to deal with it. But then again, that's where I'm supposed to go have that confrontation. And I don't mean a confrontation in a confrontation sense, but need to go have that discussion. You know, I go, hey, you know, I know this is what's going on, or I've heard this from someone that you're upset with me about this. You know, let's, let's work this out. You know, I don't want you to be at all um, with me. Um, Matthew eighteen fifteen says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained um, thy um, brother. And so we see in um, both of these, you know, you know someone's committed a fault against you, or you know someone has an ought against you because you committed a fault against them. Um, Jay Adams, you know, he writes lots of different books. He's written books on counseling. I had to read them when I was in college and stuff. And really, it's better to read those when you're out of college, when you're pastoring, because that's when you're dealing with it more, and it relates a little bit more. But he says, there is never a time when you can sit and wait for your brother to come to you. Jesus doesn't allow for that. He gives no opportunity for that. It is always your obligation to go. You know that God isn't interested in assigning blame as he is in solving the problem. Getting things reconciled. Okay, so we see rebuke and then repentance. You know, it's, it's been said, when you forgive, you set two people free and realize that one of them was yourself. I mentioned that earlier. Um, and the um, second part of that statement is definitely true. When you forgive someone, you're releasing that bitterness from the, um, being in your heart. But what about if a person never repents? What do you do then? Someone just never repents. You know, it's kind of hard to reconcile with them. But again, if you come to a place where you know it, you forgive them, even if they don't repent, it will set your mind and your heart at ease. And so we are commanded to forgive as we have been forgiven. And now for true relational restoration to take place, the offender does need to repent. You know what, we see this in our relationship with God. Scripture tells us that God's posture toward us is when we sin is that He is ready to forgive. Psalm 86, 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. You know what, God's ready to forgive. But you know what, our iniquities separate us from God. And so we need to repent get things right with God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, sometimes a spouse who's been betrayed, you know, that spouse could end up coming back and say, look, I'm back. You better forgive me or it's your fault if our marriage does not heal. You know, they're coming 
with an attitude of not really being repentant. And, you know, so often I see that, you know, the wives freely strive and try to forgive their husband when they've been unfaithful, even when they're not completely repentant. Many times they'll blame themselves for them committing that sin. And, and that guilt, that pressure is not to be on them. But even that is easier than just holding on a bitterness about it. But there's not really going to be a true restoration until the offending party really does repent. Says, you know what? I've done wrong. You know, I'm not like sum up with big things that we see that really are devastating. But the little things in life that happen, the little disagreements, the little heated passions, you know, work on reconciling those quicker. You know, I'm not just large offenses. You know, this isn't original with me at all, um, but the seven A's of confession. You know, so I, I um, alter your behavior. Okay, you know, when you're coming to a place where you're really wanting to repent, think of these. Alter your behavior. You know, we're not going to be perfect, but if we're genuinely sorry, we will give an effort toward changing our behavior. You know, address everyone involved. Okay, if it was more than one person that you committed a fault against, bring it to everybody. You know, that's why there's sometimes with church discipline issues, sometimes it's an issue where things are just still in private, and there's other times when it's still publicly. You know, when it's more of a fault towards everyone, or they're part of the body and they're being unrepentant. Okay, admit specifically what you did. You know, if you know how you've offended another person, you know what, be specific about it. Don't just be like, you know, I'm sorry if I offended you. You know, that's not really being sorry. That's just trying to soften it. You don't want to take the blame, um, but you don't want to feel guilty for being the one that caused them to be hurt. And so another one, acknowledge the hurt. Express sorrow for your sin. If it doesn't make you sad that you have hurt your spouse or another human being, it's going to be difficult for him or her to believe you want forgiveness rather than just a pass. Ask for forgiveness. You know what? Sometimes those are the hardest words. Say, I'm sorry. You know what? Sometimes I see that with even children. They, it kind of varies. Sometimes you see children... Man, they're just so humble and they're just so apologetic. But in other times, children can be like, oh, it's so hard to say I'm sorry. You know, even if they know they were wrong, even if they're not mad at the other person, they feel humiliated, embarrassed to say I'm sorry because they're admitting they were wrong. You know, sometimes when we grow up, we still have that mentality, we still have that attitude. But be specific. You know, I ask, will you forgive me? You know, I went to talk to a couple before um, that they were offended um, by me. And I went and talked to them. And they listened and stuff. And, but it kind of wasn't really going anywhere. But then I just had to specifically ask, you know, will you forgive me? You know what? Um, Really, it was, it was a total silly issue, too. Okay? It was something they should be all happy about. But 
trying to be understanding, just go, hey, I didn't mean any harm in this. But, uh, and so will you forgive me for how everything went, went about? And that engaged them more. You know, it, no one's going to want to say, no, I don't forgive you. Uh, at least most people don't want to. But it's kind of, sometimes it can be hard asking those words, will you forgive me? And it can be hard for them to say those words, yes, I do forgive you. But that helps in the restoration. That helps in rebuilding that relationship. Ask for forgiveness. And accept the consequences. You know what? If there's any way you can make things right, do. Uh, you know what? With your spouse, don't demand that they pretend as if nothing has happened. You know, where trust has been broken, be it in a small or big way, um, your spouse may forgive you, but needs evidence that he or she can trust you again. Once an offense has been confronted and apologized for, the next step is to freely give forgiveness. Uh, any of you know of the name Corey Ten Boom? Hey, Brooke, what do you know about her? You know what, the man actually went up to her, reached out his hand to shakers after, the mess, um, after she shared that testimony, and he said, a fine message. How good it is to know that our sins are in the bottom of the sea. And she stood frozen. She mentioned her heart was cold. It was engulfed with coldness. And um, he continued, he said to her, he goes, I was a guard there. And she already knew that. She recognized him. But he goes, I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Will you forgive me? She described that moment. I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. She told how she reached out her hand to shake his, and then the, the love of God filled her heart. Sometimes we may think we can't forgive. Whether it's someone outside these walls, whether it's someone in the church, whether it's our spouse, that we can maybe feel like we can't. Because we don't have the feelings of forgiveness. But God never instructs us to feel forgiveness, but to forgive, to give forgiveness. Ephesians 5.31 says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This picture is not complete without forgiveness. We must offer forgiveness to really demonstrate that picture. You know what, leave, leave the scoreboard alone. And you know what, some spouses, they kind of keep a list, maybe not a written list, but a mental list 
of how many times they have been offended. Again, I mentioned how Peter was keeping that scoreboard. Seven times? So I think, well, if after seven, I'm done. Seventy times seven. Basically, Jesus was saying, Peter, forget the scoreboard. Forgive. Don't be a scorekeeper. Be a grace giver. And you know what's really neat? You know what? Read the Gospels. Read about Peter. Well, pay attention to the parts about Peter. About his life. And then go read his epistles. And it is so amazing that you see um, the struggles that Peter had, his weaknesses. Those end up being what he ends up exhorting the brethren about in his epistles. Those talks about the same things. It's pretty neat. The things he got rebuked for, you know what, he's encouraging Christians in the, in the right way. You know, in 1 Peter 2.21, he says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judged of righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Hey, before he was the quick one. You know what? He tried cutting the man's head off, ends up cutting his hair off. And you know what? He recognized, you know what? Jesus did not retaliate. And then he saw on the cross that he would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So, you know, leave the scoreboard. Um, give grace. You know what? Be kind. Um, be tender-hearted. Be um, forgiven um, of your spouse, of one another, of people. Again, all these lessons you can apply these in many ways that have nothing to do with marriage. They're just people in general. Um, I think next week, though, so, only will be applied, really, in the marriage contest. But um, every person has his or her faults, and those tendencies, those issues that may have happened, they don't just usually disappear overnight. Practicing forgiveness requires patience to forgive them again and again, but it also brings freedom into your marriage when you are both not carrying a load of unforgiveness, of carrying a load of grudges. Remember that God continues to give us the single resource we need to forgive, and that's His grace. And when we become a good forgiver, the journey in our marriage will be lighter, won't be stuffed full 